Hello, welcome back to the second Knees Up Mother Round West Ham podcast episode of the season. Uh, but you thought we'd have scored a league goal by now, huh? Um, <laughs> as we look back, back on a less than stellar start, we'll cover uh, Manchester City, Forest, Brighton and some of Viborg too. Um, joining me from Analytics United are Jack Elderton and Callum Goodall, of course. Um, before we crack on, Jack, can you explain quickly what you're doing with Analytics United? There'll be a few people who've maybe seen the odd glimpse on Twitter, but maybe haven't taken the dive yet. Uh, it's a new project uh, Cal and I have set up basically to give analysts a platform to communicate uh, football analytics and tactical analysis, performance analysis, all of that stuff uh, in simple terms for fans. Uh, we've got it's out basically to cover the non top six Premier League sides, um, hopefully to expand a little bit beyond there in the future as well. Uh, but primarily covering West Ham at the moment, you'll get Cal and I every week looking through data, uh, tactics, performance review on every player, any player that, that, that comes in, we'll have analysis on them either on podcast or in article format. So pretty much all of your, your West Ham analytical needs, um, will be met uh, and yeah uh, you've got a, a raft of free content available and if you want to access the podcast and a weekly match review from us uh, that's four pounds a month lovely what was the twitter handle analytics utd underscore brilliant i knew it. i just don't want to have to say it myself um we will cover <laughs> tonight's uh we'll talk four three three and shifting squad regeneration priorities thanks for using that as the sum up for that point uh the start to the season positives and negatives and negatives and uh individuals within the club and some we've been linked to as well so well it's it's been an interesting kind of idea we, we we took ideas from pre-season of what formation we might be looking at and where we might play we've come into the season it's not not clicked perfectly yet and I guess the bits that we saw that were good were kind of Forest where it looked like more of that 4-3-3 didn't it Jack? Yeah Forest was by far the best performance uh, and that is where we played a 4-3-3 um, you can see how that enables uh, the players in the squad uh, much better uh, than the 4-2-3-1 we're used to I can see obviously I think everyone can see the strengths of the 4-2-3-1 uh, out of possession a lot of the time that enables a, a, a really strong mid block um, although that mid block didn't function against Brighton or, but I think Brighton is uh, or are a bit uh, anomalous compared to the rest of the Premier League due to the tactics that they employ not really being used by by many other teams and certainly not being deployed as effectively by, by any other teams um, so off the ball, you can see the benefits of the four-two-three-one, but certainly um, those benefits exist within the four-three-three as well. You, you, you're able to enable uh, both uh, Fornells and Suchek, uh, sort of uh, notionally, the players who are going to play in that in that system is the is the more advanced eights uh, to go forward and press and, uh, and assist in in that first phase of pressing, but then also able to recover in and, and assist Declan Rice when you're forming more of a four-five-one shape defensively to block things up and uh, and not allow any any central progression. And encourage teams to to move out wide and cross the ball, which is where we're strongest anyway. Heading the ball out of the box, that's been sort of West Ham's bread and butter since David Moyes came back to the club defensively. Where the big shift is is in possession.
progression and you can see the benefits uh, much more with with slower build up and, and build up from the back uh with with the 433 as opposed to the 4231 look a little bit wooden with the 4231 really struggle to be able to progress the ball through the middle often looking to the flanks uh, using the full backs quite a lot and then also moving the ball into the channels directly through the center backs uh, long balls and and, and such like mm. Antonio to chase down uh, as the squad uh, makeup shifts slightly and, and players come in who have maybe slightly different abilities. Uh, enabling that central progression is, is really important and being able to attack in a more sustained way and sustain pressure is, is a really important thing to be able to achieve. And the 4-3-3 will enable that in a way that we've never been able to, to do with the 4-2-3-1. So what, what is it about the, and I, the three in midfield? I feel like it's probably the key part of that. What is it about the three in midfield that enables the defence kind of use the ball better really to progress so so the key thing to understand here really is the angles for passing um so when we build up with the with the 4231 generally you have one of the central midfielders of the pivot either Declan Rice or Thomas Suchek dropping into former three uh with the center backs this kind of creates a, a, a natural horseshoeing of of the build up shape where uh, you have three across the back two wing backs effectively in in, in Sufal and Cresswell um and then your wingers ahead of that and, and Suchek sort of floating alone in the middle uh inverse also true when Suchek drops into the back line and Rice becomes that player it then becomes very difficult to find avenues for central progression because actually you've only got one player in the middle of the pitch or two if your number 10 in the 4231 is dropping in Lanzini or Fornals uh even so that player those players are often outnumbered by opposition midfielders and it's very difficult for them to find uh, routes to progress the ball centrally uh, and generally we've seen Antonio used a lot in this system as a, as a player who attacks uh, the left channel mostly but also the right channel uh, and you have this kind of either we try and uh, progress the ball down the, down the flanks through the fullbacks or 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 look that for that direct ball into Antonio where you move to the 4-3-3 you have the chance for central progression much more because you have two midfielders flanking a number six so the six can drop between the centre backs and form that three, and you have a similar shape, but with a very defined two ahead of it to be able to to, to find those angles for central um, progression. Or you have an, a two-one-two uh, styled shape at, at, at the bottom of your build-up in the centre of the pitch, where you can play into that that pivot player. Declan Rice is uh, is by far the most adept in the squad at being able to produce in in that position. Uh, good understanding of scanning and when to release the pass, um, and then he's got two options either side of him to be able to progress the ball forwards into in central areas. Uh, that then creates triangles with the fullback and the winger, uh, with the eights to then be able to to bounce the ball into those players and progress the ball again uh, in combination uh, down down the sort of half spaces rather than just being pinned to the touch lines. So a slightly different way of building up and uh, and a way that might be able to affect the centre of the pitch more effectively than than just the flanks. And we, we've, we've talked about that, and I know a lot of the focus, it seems an inordinate amount of focus in these kind of opening few weeks has been Suchek's use of the ball and kind of the, a focus on passing and Suchek. Should that alleviate kind of the, the pressure on Suchek to be maybe better than he can actually be on the ball? Uh, I think it alleviates some of the pressure progressively on, on, on Suchek for sure um, because he's able to to play. I mean, if you look at the... Uh, Forest game, for example, a lot of what he's able to do when receiving um, progressive passes rather than being asked to make those progressive passes is he can bounce the ball backwards, which are often very simple passes into, into Sufal or bounce the ball sideways into, into Bowen, very easy, easy passes. And then advance himself to, to receive again in a, in a more forward position. Although I do 
think it is incredibly likely that with that 4-3-3 shape that Thomas Suchek will be the player that is replaced in order to enable West Ham to sustain pressure in a way that we can't necessarily uh, with Thomas Suchek in the side. I think, you know, there's been links this week to, to, to several players who could fill that, fulfill that role. Hans Menachem, Ruslan Malinovsky, Lucas Paqueta. I think those are the players that you'd be looking at as at potentially filling that spot in the midfield al- alongside Rice and Fornells. Okay. And it's, it's interesting, uh, Kath, I think that the, the game I really noticed obviously was Forrest. And that was the game that got the kind of the best out of Ben Rama that we'd seen for maybe ever, actually, in a way. Uh, so do you think that's the kind of a shape that will benefit the way he needs to play? Yeah, I think so, because like Jack said, you have the sort of the way the midfield sets itself up means that there's no uh, like 10 as there would be in the 43-1, so to speak. So there's less people competing for the space that Ben Rama needs to occupy to be most effective. So in the 43-1, he would often be competing because he preferred to cut inside in that shape, would be cutting inside to an area of the pitch that or someone has already stood in because they're playing in a 10 roll. Whereas with Ben Rama, tending to, in that 4-3-3 shape, be slightly further wide. Um, he then has the option to, A, cut inside into more open space onto his favoured right foot. But what we saw against Forrest, which I was actually really pleased to see because it's something that we definitely spoke about on the pod last year, um, was the fact that he also now has the freedom to and seemingly the confidence to take the ball out on the outside as well and, and drive mm-hmm. into the towards the byline with his left foot, um, which... Not only is it making best use of space, but it also buys us more time for the rest of the midfield to advance into the box. And when he isn't at the by the by line, you've then got the likes of Suchek bombing the box because you've bought yourself valuable seconds rather than cutting inside, crowding the space. And then everyone's worried to run over the ball or into Ben Harmer. Um, And I think that's we've kind of seen that borne out in the numbers, particularly in that Forest game where Suchek was the had the highest XG return of all our players. And that I think was partly due to the fact that Ben Harmer was getting in such advanced positions and then being able to put in dinked dink balls or low cutbacks into the box to onrush in midfielders, which we've seen the best of Suchek in that in that first season, really, when he was a free-scoring central midfielder that was getting everyone loads of fantasy points. That was because he was arriving late in the box. And, and the 4-3-3 brings out the best in Ben Rummer in that sense because it drives up his threat, but also brings out the best in Suchek because it means that he's less pinned back and is able to have that licence to get forward because he knows that he's got kind of deck operating in that six to mop anything up if it does get bounced back out. I suppose it, it goes back to kind of conversations we had last year about Rice's role and the kind of partnership he had with Suchek and who was Kind of doing more of that defensive discipline as well. Do you think, Cal, that it, it gives that Suchek would be more likely to come in again and play those games when it was the tougher games, maybe your Liverpool, your Cities, those games where you may be keeping it a little bit tighter? Would you then lean back to Suchek because of his defensive ability? Yeah, I think so. I think really it's ju- it would just be nice to have the option. I think yeah. it's something that we didn't have <laughs> last season is that in games where we did need to maintain pressure or or be more comfortable in possession and just passing the ball around for two or three minutes before we find an opening um having the option to bring in a central midfielder who can not only maintain um spells of possession by happily receiving the ball and bouncing it back and taking it in again um having the ability to once we have had a spell of possession for three minutes also then the ability to play the killer pass which Suchek doesn't have and in this sort of 
me and Jack talked about this maintenance of pressure around the box, particularly against the likes of Forest, which I think it was quite clear in that game that there was a real element of chaos, which made it a real fun game to watch, um, both from my point of view and as a neutral, I suppose. Um, but what it would have been nice to have seen is if we'd have just gone, actually, we can just control this a bit more. And rather than kind of forcing openings and stuff, we can just take control and, and, and wait for the right moment. And what's going to happen is if you have Suchek in that system, when the ball does get cleared out by the Forest team, what you want is someone to take that clearance down and drive forward again and be able to pick out another pass. Whereas if if, if the ball's coming out of the box and, and being uh, given to Suchek, he's stood outside the edge of the box and doesn't really know where to pass it because he's not a progressive passer. So having that ability to sort of switch between the two, I think would be great. Jack, I don't know what you think about how that would uh, pan out going forward this season, should we bring in a more progressive right-sided central midfielder? I actually wanted to come in on, on what you were saying about Forest, which I think is super important for people to understand. It's quite a simple uh, principle when it comes to understanding football and sustaining pressure and also being being able to use pressure and possession as a, as a means of defending. If you look at um, Pep Guardiola's comments after Manchester City's 3-3 draw with, um, with Newcastle, I think they're quite illuminating as to this factor because a lot of people assessed Kyle Walker's performance in that game as being particularly negative uh, in the 1v1 with Alan San Maximum. But Pep actually spoke about... Um, controlling the game and not always needing to finish the actions in attack. And he picked out Erling Haaland and, and, and Phil Foden as players that don't necessarily have a more developed understanding of this. And it's been his main criticism of, of Phil Foden um, in his Manchester City career so far that, that Foden is always eager to to finish the action and complete the attack as quickly as possible and lacks that element of power to be able to see when it is the right time to slow the game down, play those extra passes to stop the game from being able to move into a high tempo transitional um, phase. And, and, and those transitional phases benefit teams when they're sitting deep against you and want to counterattack. Newcastle are a good example. Nottingham Forest, another good example. I think it's really important to be able to sustain that pressure and understand that it's not always the right time to go and try and finish the action, complete an attack and, and have a shot on goal. Sometimes it's better to be able to play a few extra passes and maintain possession so as to keep the opposition camp deeper in around their box and to slow the game down. If I remember correctly, that, that poster thing was, it's like that taking a beat and taking a second to, to feel the calmness in attack and not rushing. Precisely that, and, and Pauser is often described, particularly with number 10s and creative players, uh, it's, it can be very important to slow your actions down in order to fix the defence and then be able to play the killer pass. If you do things always so fast, everything's happening at speed and the gaps are maybe harder to see. If you slow everything down, you can fix the defenders, stop them dead in their tracks, and then movement can be easier to spot and easier to find, um, or gaps can be easier to find. I think quickly, just a final point on this as well. I mean, you, you Chris, you asked the question about check coming back in uh, for his defensive ability in, in, in games where we need that more and potentially playing the 4-2-3-1. Mainly what West Ham need to achieve this season is a variance of tactical styles rather than trying to um, use similar approaches across different games and then only being able to vary it at certain times, particularly in, in games like against Manchester City or we saw it in games against Spurs and Chelsea or the Frankfurt games. What we need is uh, different personnel to be able to match different styles and therefore different formations to best enable those styles. 4-2-3-1 transition heavy mid-block when you want to play against uh, your, your Man Cities, so on and so forth, teams at the top of the table. A 4-3-3 more dominant, more 
more possession dominant, uh, maybe slightly slower build uh, system for, for teams in, in, in maybe the bottom 10. And then when you do need to match up against teams that play a back three, uh, you know, players like Emerson coming in now potentially provide, provide that ability to move to a, a back three and a three, four, three system where Suchek again would probably come back into the team for his ability to hit the box and uh, 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 while Rice sits. So we're, we're quite close now to having the personnel available to best support different uh, formational approaches uh, that allow different tactics. I suppose it's a, it, it, it lends people to need to kind of almost take a different view because for years and years you would really only be looking at what West Ham are doing for their singular first team choices but actually to get some sort of level of next success and to move on you have to have that flexibility to have kind of like almost specialist players like you have in NFL I suppose not not to that limit obviously but that kind of squad game that now is is that next step absolutely um you, you're, you're spot on I think that the transitional football can only take you so far mm. And, uh, and and particularly when you don't have that like exceptional turn of quality in the team, if you if you don't have a have a, have a Harry Kane or a, or a human son at the top of the pitch, you are going to just make things happen in games where you're struggling to create and you're maybe having to sit deep and, and wait for those transition opportunities and not necessarily accessing them as regularly as you can. This is a, this is a style of play that works very effectively if you're Tottenham Hotspur and have those those players to support it. But if you don't have that very very premium level of quality in your team um, teams will work you out concede possessions you drop off and it will be much much harder to create opportunities that's what's happening with West Ham and that's why this variance of approach and variance of tactics is so vital we've started the season and it, it's been it's been less than less than impressive I suppose there have been glimpses of something good there's been glimpses of interesting change but it certainly feels like there's a, obviously three, def- three defeats will bring that negativity but we've had defeats that feel good they have felt like harsh defeats Gal, haven't they they felt like heavy bad defeats if you know what i mean by that yeah i think they've particularly in the um the way the games have panned out i think the three of them have been very different games for a start which i think is part of the reason that we've perhaps struggled to find any rhythm is because we've had we come up against three really different oppositions and three really different circumstances i mean Anyone who was going to play Forest at home in that first game was pretty much doomed just in terms of narrative. Like it was always going to be a horrible game and it looked like the, the narrative gods were not on our side that day. And, and so it played out. I mean, we would have scored numerous times on any other day and it just wasn't to be. City, I think, was just a case of we were coming up against a team that every team in the Premier League is going to struggle to beat this season um, because they've now got Haaland and, and he punished us and De Bruyne punished us and all the players that they have that some of the best in the world did what they do. And and there was no real shame in that. And I thought there was moments of the game where I thought we actually looked all right. We were going toe to toe for bits of it. Um, And then the Brighton game, they're just our kryptonite, really. It's just, um, it sounds like I'm making excuses, but I think these are all genuine reasons for, for what's gone on. We got outplayed by Brighton, the midfield. Tactically, I think the setup was perhaps wrong and a bit naive because we've seen Brighton's midfield boss us before. Um, the gaps were really clear throughout the game and, and we didn't really do much throughout the game to try and alleviate that either, which was a bit disappointing. But I think that's as much to do with the fact that we've not finished our recruitment yet and we don't have the personnel to really adapt to be able to overcome Brighton's midfield yet anyway. So I think, yes, zero points, disappointing, zero goals, obviously disappointing, where I think underperforming our XG worse than anyone in the Premier League at the minute, which speaks to the fact that we've just been pretty unfortunate and maybe a bit 
inaccurate in front of goal. But I think this, there's enough signs there for me to not be worried because when it does fall to, into place, I think there's every reason to believe it, it, it will be fine. It's interesting is that we, we, we kind of, as, well, as much as pre-season we've shown something, we were maybe the first team to play against City's kind of changing idea with the, how they use their fullbacks, which must have been quite frustrating. Um, the Forest stuff, as you kind of, you, one of those days, the passion of it all as well. The Brighton one's the one that's interesting me. It, 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 in kind of video games, some, it's, it's a very weird point, but it gets to it and makes sense. You talk about things called counters and you have something that maybe your type, it, it goes back to Pokemon is my earliest memory. Fire, fire types countered by water types. Does what Brighton do counter what we do in a way that makes it very, very difficult because of the way we play? Or have we just not learned anything from multiple games against Brighton? I think uh, it, I think with Brighton, it's it's not necessarily just about what we do and, and them countering effectively what we do. I I would say more so we we haven't quite got the personnel in the squad and the style of management maybe to to best um unsettle them under mm. under Potter. Did you did you think he did enough during the game to change things when they weren't working? Yes. I I okay. I, I, I liked the half time switch. I think the half time switch to make Bone more narrow and, and to 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 mark up on, on Kaisedo and stop their central progression was effective. Uh, I don't think he responded particularly well to the change when Brighton brought a Stupignan on and refocused on wide overloads. But um I I, I personally felt that I mean, it's a difficult position, right? We, we talked about this at the end of last season. He played the four triple two at the end of last season. It didn't work. Tried to match up their central, central overloaded area. Uh, you know, they're three, two, two, three. So four triple two, you've got two, 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 two in the middle. Uh, the idea being that that's going to stop them from being able to progress the ball through the center of the pitch. Uh, it didn't work. Um, and we were thoroughly outplayed in the middle of the park against uh, Brighton at the end of last season. Um, so it's, it's, perhaps a little bit unsurprising to see him revert to a 4-2-3-1 and say, okay, if that's too difficult to understand how to, to execute that against Brighton, let's focus on what we can do and what we know how to do um, and to, to to try a, a very energetic mid-block slash high press and, and force turnovers, force them long, win the aerial duels and then transition forwards. That, that's not necessarily like the, 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 the wrong way to respond. The problem with West Ham against Brighton is, and, and, we, and we spoke about this on, on the Analytics United podcast with Charlie Benny, who's a, who's a uh, Brighton analyst from, from Albion Analytics, uh, about how to unsettle Brighton's shape and, and why West Ham aren't able to do this successfully. You need to be able to drag players out of positions uh, and, and unsettle the system for Brighton because they're a system team. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not that they've got this fantastic individual quality in that team. It's that they are so well drilled and so well understand how to play that system that they're very difficult to play against. You need to be able to drag players out of their positions, force them into un- uncomfortable areas to be able to unsettle the team. If you look at how West Ham play under David Moyes, it's generally very risk averse. You don't have players committing large numbers of take-ons, uh, exhibiting uh, individuality and, 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 and great expressiveness on the ball. That's not really something that West Ham do. West Ham play a very machinated style of football. So in terms of of the sort of water comes against fire kind of thing, I think that's less maybe about um, the teams and maybe a little bit more about the managers and, okay. and the way that the two managers uh, approach football management and tactics and how to manage individuals. And it, it, it felt like a game where our lack of ability to play kind of 
passing from deep that kind of progresses forward, I guess, possibly called progressive passes, but I try not to use the terms that I don't fully understand. So I'll just flirt around them instead. Um, it felt like that really highlighted because one thing Brighton can do is it feels like every one of their players, even whether they're kind of big lumpy centre-backs, have suddenly learned that they, call, they can all play nice, incisive. They can spot a pass and they can pick a pass. And we just, it feels like, we don't have anyone who can pass forward except for sometimes Pablo. Yeah, there's a, there's a real lack of um, progressive ability in the side at the moment, but I think that's something that we're seeing uh, looked at through through recruitment and hopefully re- resolved. Um, a good was was brought in to mm. to bring that progressive ability to the back line, and then obviously we've had the injury in that position, and we've been re- looking to uh, if if you believe rumours and links and all of that stuff, looking to recruit an eight or a ten who can can contribute some more progressive ability in the midfield throughout the entire window, basically, mm. um, and, and even going back as far as January. Um, last season, where we were looking to bring in uh, a midfielder at that time who would who would contribute some some more progressive ability in possession. So yeah, it, there's, there's a major contrast really between the two teams in what you say because with Brighton, you know, in, in Veltman, Webster and Dunk in, in defence, you've got three players who are very competent at playing the ball forwards and breaking lines and and, and the same actually in midfield with McAllister and, and Caicedo. And that's just not something that West Ham have to the same degree. Um, so yeah, just a, just very contrasting personnel. It's interesting because one thing we we saw from our new saying is, and Keller, it looks like he can pass forward with both feet. He looks like he can actually, he, he's got a nice pace to the ball. But if I remember correctly from, I think it was your scout report on, on the site, Cal, he can, his defensive dual rate, not great, looks a little bit reckless. And he, he, he was crazy reckless against Brighton where he, he made that one mistake and he seemed to think, well, it can't go wrong again. And did that next lunge that was almost too bad to even make contact with the player. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty much spot on. Um, I think it kind of stems from the fact that uh, it's almost like the catch-22 of signing a player from an, such an elite club like PSG is that they can, A, they have more freedom to, well, to play a really high line and aggressive brand of football because they're so superior. And B, when they do commit such pressures like that, they generally go unpunished because they have either really quick centre-backs with great recovery pace or the opposition aren't good enough to make them uh, pay for the for stepping out and making those kind of mistakes but you transfer that into a David Moyes side that's been built on defensive rigidity and sort of like having a very organized back line and try and get a player to pretty much come in and play against one of the most difficult sides to play against in the Premier League and ask him to do that three days after he's arrived mm. in London I think you're gonna be yeah. hard-pressed to expect him to completely change yeah. I can't I can't imagine he had much time on the training ground and I can't imagine he's really been watching much David Moore's football before he joined so <laughs> I think it was always going to be tricky but I think it also uh, speaks to a shift in what we are trying to do. And I think it links back to what we said earlier about being able to maintain pressure, much like when the ball falls out to Suchek and you expect you want a centre mid that can play those passes back into dangerous areas. If the clearance falls out to uh, a, a gap in between um, just before the halfway line, for example, and a Forest player's potentially going to get onto it, you've then got Kera to just bomb onto it and press out mm-hmm. and then force with his progressive passing ability, push the ball back into those dangerous areas. And it's all about this ability or the recruitment suggests that at least is about a shift um or at least to have the ability to be able to play this more um 
high uh, high pressured game uh, against the sort of more inferior opposition where we do want to just keep on them until they make a mistake and then and then we score from it uh, and Kara speaks to that and I think it's just going to take some time for him to get used to it and some time spent on the training ground he he also looks like a, a sort of a a, a a sort of nice mix of a short a short-term fix for a Gerd's injury and a back four which potentially will have some issues because of the fact that he's partnered with Zuma and both are quite aggressive and that will leave gaps but then after that a, a very clear system player for a back three uh, yeah. someone who yeah. where we looked at the Frankfurt game last season and, and I was infuriated by our usage of Dawson in the right centre-back position because he's not got the confidence to press out and affect um, opposition players when they drop off a little bit with Tilo Kara, that's completely different someone who is going to be much more confident at stepping out of the defence committing to higher pressures and then also when he does win the ball because he is a very successful pressure presser in general he will be able to play progressively quickly and help us to transition forwards quickly which is something we'll want to do in that three back shape and certainly what he wouldn't do is say a player was about to score he wouldn't just walk and let them score like uh like Issa did <laughs> recently and uh, you know I'd rather at least a reckless challenge than just a hey, probably score um this this there's there's quite a lot I, I mean we this this start this section was kind of titled positives negatives um I guess we should finish all the negatives because there's more of them and it'd be nice to go on a a, a, a positive is there anything else that's really standing out for you that's a concern away from the kind of obvious because the, the, the all the talk has been ball use ball use ball use no, I think the only other one that came up in the numbers, I mean, the the all the passing stuff is borne out in the numbers in terms of passes uh, to the penalty area, final third passes, key passes, progressive passes per 90. Uh, I know it's only a small sample size, but I think in terms of the league, we're ranking it about 14th to 15th um, out of the 20 at the minute. Um, last season, we were pretty much eighth in all of them. So it's kind of a good barometer of where your level is at the table, if in the table, if that makes sense. And I think if we can see our numbers tick up towards the sort of eights again, then we'll be in a better place. And I think when you look at the teams that are in those spaces, there's no one below us in the table at the minute in terms of passing numbers that should finish above us, if that makes sense. And all the teams in those top eight, other teams you'd expect to be competing for the top eight. So we need to see those uptick. But I think one trend that I've seen that is, I think, slightly concerning, but also I guess slightly tactical as well. Um, and it's a trend that's gone on over the past three seasons, actually, is that our cross, our, the amount of completed crosses to the penalty area has gone down season over season and it's now at its lowest. Um, and even though it went down last season, we still completed the most crosses to the penalty area per nightly out of any team. And the season before that, we were first as well. Uh, but to start this season, we've dropped down to 11th. So that's kind of a significant drop off in terms of um, where we're ranking there. And I think something that we've kind of was our bread and butter at first when Moyes arrived, certainly with Sufal getting seven assists and however many assists Cresswell got in that season. And I think Sufal form more so than Cresswell's but I think both of them have, have not been the player that the prime version of themselves so to speak but Sufal definitely um, and I think seeing those two get back up to those levels I think would really really be a, a massive improvement uh, Any any Anything you, you're concerned about Jack before I move on to something you might be happy about? Uh, mainly the performances of um, of Declan Rice and Manuel Lanzini so far this season. Declan Rice really struggling, um, lack of appreciation of space in front of him. The key problem right now, very good with his back to goal progressively, very poor 
uh, when facing the opposition goal. Uh, seems to not understand that he needs to progress into a higher strata when he passes the ball sideways to offer himself as an option. Uh, and that makes it very difficult for us to move the ball forwards because he's often passing sideways and then just looking at the player to do something with it. Mm. If he was able to run forwards, he'd be drawing another player with him and creating space ahead of him or at least uh, prevent presenting an option to just move the ball uh, up the pitch. Very simple thing that, that that we need to see from him and Manuel Lanzini, who has just really struggled so far looks, this season. Looks a shadow, doesn't he? Even a shadow of the player last year when he was kind of he wasn't consistent always, but he had his he had his strengths. And now you, he's not really bringing those strengths to help control the midfield at all. No, I mean we're only a few games in, into the mm. season, so I'm yeah. hesitant of making any sweeping conclusions. But as of this precise moment, uh, you know, four games in, three Premier League games, one uh, Conference League game, he he is not performing to a Premier League level. Full stop. He would not be of use to any of the twenty sides in the Premier League at this current level. So we need to see a huge, huge improvement in performance from him if he wants to uh, recapture a, a place within or a, a place within the side where he's considered useful to some degree. So we've had a we've had a lot of there's a lot of negative going on. Though obviously we've we've not been completely blown away at every one of these games, and you, we've also won a game in Europe, which I've, I've almost getting no credit for because we've decided the opposition aren't good enough to be worth credit. It seems, but um, who's standing out for you as actually having started the season quite well? For me, the, the, the first name is Ben Johnson, who performed really well out of position at centre-back uh, in, the, in the first two games of the season, played only 15 minutes against Brighton, but still one player of the match for me, um, <laughs> came on and provided lots of energy and enthusiasm, uh, where previously we had been lacking that kind of incisiveness on the ball, someone demanding possession and, and doing things with it. Mm. Um, he came on and gave us that and contributed the the, the, probably the best moment going forward for us in the game where where he crossed for, for Thomas Suchek and Robert Sanchez made an exceptional save. So I think he's been a real standout performer. I really enjoyed his his interview with Sky Sports this week where he talked about the backhanded compliment that other teams mm. are giving us um, by focusing so much of their analysis on, on us and how to negate our, our threats. And now it's about this West Ham squad learning how to respond to that, believing in a winning mentality and not saying that all oh, things are really difficult now and we're, not, we're no longer as good as we were saying that we know we can go into every match and win it just as we did last season. I thought those were really impressive comments for 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 a young player who's performed really well so far this season. So he would be my standout player. Anyone else caught your eye, Cal? Um, it's difficult to pick, but I think Cresswell's been getting a real hard time on Twitter, and I think it's pretty uncalled for. Really, yeah. I think he's not been like I just said; he's not been at the level that we've we've expected of him, but I think he's still been quite useful. I thought he had a pretty good game against City, considering the players that he was going up against. Probably the toughest test he'll face this season, and he and he handled it pretty well. Uh, against Forest, I thought he had a pretty good game as well in terms of his productivity. I think creative-wise, I thought he was great. Um, he had four progressive runs, which is insane for Aaron Cresswell, which was quite nice to see, and sort of proved that yeah, maybe he's not necessarily the best overlapping option, but he still has that. He, he can do it if we need him to, but I think it just proves that by and large, it's been a tactical decision from Moyes to not have his left-back overlap because maybe on the right-hand side, we've always had Soufal overlapping so much and you don't want to overcommit both full-backs because frankly, then you're 
screwed yeah. <laughs> if, if you lose the ball. Um, and I think, yeah, he's he's continued in the same vein of form that we've seen as last season in terms of his progression from the back. I think against Forest, he completed nine out of nine passes to the final third. And, and again, over the course of the season, I don't think he's dipped below 90% in that respect. So in build-up, he's still been really important. I think what I would really have liked to have seen is him play alongside Aguirre and, and see how that build-up plays out because then you have two players on the left-hand side who are both equally capable of playing progressive passes from deep. And I think that would really have helped to solve a lot of our problems. Um, and looking further forward to the future, I think the prospect of a back line of hopefully at some point in this season of maybe Cresswell, Aged and Kera um, alongside each other with Aged playing more of a cover role and allowing Kera to press out. All three of them are capable of playing vertical passes. And I think that would go a long way to solving this verticality issue particularly if we also get a right-sided central midfielder who's more comfortable receiving those vertical passes mm-hmm. than perhaps Suchek is, who, who rather than bouncing it off, is happy to take the touch, turn around and, and look ahead of them rather than lay it off to the side of them. I think all those things come together as planned. I think then we're looking at a really, really solid 4-3-3 four, four, three, three and, um, yeah, reason to be excited. Uh, other than that, not really too much of a standout. I think Bowen had a disappointing start, but the last two games I've, I've been really impressed by him um, in terms of his efforts pressing from the front and also the chances he's been creating and the positions he's been getting himself into. Obviously scored a pretty nice goal against Viborg as well. Um, so I think I was worried at the start, but I think that malaise he seems to have kind of shaken off. And if and if he can carry on on the form, I'm sure he'll he'll get back to scoring goals and, and getting assists like he was last season. Quick shout it's, for um, sorry. I was about to shout Ben Rama just to say the Forest and actually f- for anything just that extra touch he took in the box against Eyeball to set up Antonio's goal, which I thought yeah. no one else in our team would probably have taken, and it made it easier for well, made it easier for Antonio, who very smartly just kind of stayed away from the runners and moved backwards. Um, he deserves yeah. the shout. Yeah, Ben Rama. I would also shout Antonio. I think he's played quite well on, on very limited service. Um, particularly, I was impressed in the in the Brighton game chase things down all game, yeah. provided a lot out of possession. Um, it's, it's been a real positive performer so far. I think as well, on, I was just going to say on that, I saw a lot of people have been complaining about Skamaka not being in the team. And I think this, the team in its current shape, I think you need Antonio in there to do that stuff because we're not producing as many chances as we should be. And someone like Skamaka needs to have those chances produced for him to score them. Whereas Antonio is the sort of player that can create chances for himself just by harassing defenders and sort of he's happy to take the ball down on his chest and then sprint towards the goal and carry you up the pitch as a team just for his progressive carry abilities. Whereas Skamaka, as good a player as he is and as useful as I think he's going to be for West Ham, and I, I really do think he's going to be brilliant for us once we get the squad to the position it needs to be in. But he is not going to take that ball down and drag you 30 yards up the pitch with the ball at his feet because that's just not how he operates and, and not how he has operated at Sassuolo. You said this the other day, Cal, the squad needs to be ready for him. We need to be ready yeah. for him as much as he needs yeah. to be ready for us. And uh, and the moment which Moyes stands back and watches the build-up and goes, well, this is very effective, that's when Skamaka comes on the pitch. Yeah. Okay, so we kind of need the extra pieces to make him work. Yeah, and I suppose those links to players like Paqueta etc. are that missing piece. 100%. Precisely. Well, so we've, we've talked about adding those progressive passing options from defence in Aguirre and Kera, but, but our other signings, we haven't really discussed the, the who's, the where's, the why's, etc. Um, so we'll kind of dig in on them now. We've, we've mentioned kind of some of those attacking progressions as well. So we've done a little bit on Skamaka, so we don't need to kind of dive as deep in. But is there, 
is there a reason to say that a four three a four three three would suit him more than a four two three one would? And does the four three three suit him and what we're going to get from him more than Antonio as well? Would he be a better option in that four three three once it's primed anyway? I suppose. Uh, I, I think there, there's a couple of reasons the 4-3-3 works for him. If you've got ad, uh, advancing overlapping fullbacks on either side, then you've got additional crossing opportunities, which benefits him, number one. Number two, you've got better central progression so you can get the ball into him quicker. Um, and he's a very talented link-up player. That works for him. And then the third reason I'd give is you've got two eights to advance and receive from him when when you play direct. Yeah. Um, so you can better support in lots of ways to be able to get the ball off him for him to mm. then transition, uh, for us to then transition him to, to run forwards and get into the box. Uh, also, the other thing that potentially is is better supported is that, that on occasion, depending on game state situation, whatever, you can support him with two players who can come inside off either flank and go beyond him and play quite close to him. Uh, I don't see that there being that many situations that we do that because of, of the current lack of creative ability in midfield, but potentially in certain games where you have Rice as a six and two creative midfielders playing as the eight, you could potentially have Antonio, Skamaka, Bowen as a, as a front three at times in games if you're chasing it and have two players uh, advancing either side of him and, and plenty of options for him to be able to pass the ball through. That makes sense to me. Um, Kamaka kind of covered. I think we we've talked about him primed in the past as well for our summer. So everyone's got their own ideas of him anyway, as you can tell by the reaction when even he gets off his feet. The kind of applause he gets is of those <laughs> who are kind of I think are choosing to like him regardless of what happens at the moment. Maybe when you when you uh when you let a team not buy a striker for that long any striker is going to be loved, aren't they? Uh, not to say that he's not going to be brilliant or a very good player. And the Cornet is an interesting one, who for some people is seen as this kind of all-ranging left-sided player who can play left-back, left-wing-back, left left midfield, right midfield, up front as well. Do you think he's primed to join more in that 4-3-3? Um, is he kind of cover for both flanks as well? What are you thinking on Cornet's side, Cal? Um, yeah, I th- he's still a bit of a mystery for me, to be honest. I think, I, I think people got really excited when they saw him get an assist for Skamaka and then it's just kind of been like, oh my God, these guys are the, the stars. They're going to be so good. That link up, that link up. And it's just like, okay. I mean, yeah, it was a nice cross and it was a good header, but I don't necessarily know that Corne walks into this starting 11 regardless. I think, what we've needed for a long time is cover in attacking positions. Yarmolenko's left. I mean, his utility to the squad is is debatable anyway, but you still have to fill that squad position. Bowen currently has had no cover on the right. Um, the options on the left are now limited if we view Fornals as a central player. So I think Corne really just comes in as as someone who... And I think one of his biggest strengths actually is the fact that he can play with both feet. So he can play cutting in off the right, mm. cutting in off the left, or take you on the outside on both sides either. We saw that from um, the goal. His his cross supposedly came off his weak foot, but I, I you wouldn't have a clue. Like he, he, I've seen him score volleys for Burnley on his left foot and his right foot. I've seen him te- yeah take set pieces with both feet. So I think just having someone who can come in and play so comfortably off both sides and isn't limited to like you have some players who can play on the left and right, but if they play on the left, they take it out wide. And if they play on the right, they cut inside because 
regardless they want to play on their left foot but having corner you don't you're not limited in that sense so i think if you think of moise's record in the in the transfer window of bringing in players that can play in multiple positions because he likes to have a smallish squad i think corner ticks that box and that's probably why moise was so keen to sign him i think he showed enough promise at burnley anyway that he's a good quality player and and again at leon but bringing in someone who has not only the ability, but experience of playing and playing well at right wing, left wing, up top and left wing back under a manager who wants to have the ability to play a 4-3-3, a 4-2-3-1 and a three at the back system with wing backs. That is why Cornet was signed, I think. He's not coming in to really stamp his name on a starting position. I mean, if he does, great. Like That would be brilliant. But I don't think we've bought him as a starter for example. And I think what I've seen of Ben Rama since the season started and in that 4-3-3 system, I think that makes that even clearer for me, actually. I, think, I suppose what we have to remember as well is five subs now, and actually we've struggled to have any sort of real I say, impact off the pitch, but even trust off the pitch, because actually Yarmolenko did, by the end of the season, have those key moments, but you never felt really like you wanted to, Moyes wanted to use him. Whereas actually now you might look at 50 minutes and go, well, I don't have to wait for the last 20 because these, there's a drop in quality. And also, I don't know, I don't know, Jack, I, I, but he looks to me like someone who actually might be a bit more of a direct goal threat than some of our other options, which when you're chasing a game, you need. Yeah, there's your, um, there's your speed, ability to beat a man and ability to score a goal off the bench. Uh, that's how I see it anyway. I think Cal described excellently as ambidexterity and how useful that will be. Uh, I probably see him in Moyes' mind being used more as a backup on the right-hand side for, for Bowen. Uh, profile incredibly similar for, for that for that slot in, in our squad uh, but also a third option up front uh, cover at left wing back potentially a good left wing back I haven't really seen him there for a little while now um, and then also uh, cover or, or maybe it, it, for certain games first choice left winger um, but yeah I, I think really the main way I see him is, is is being able to provide that that impact from the bench yeah. that sometimes we've lacked definitely Um the, the, the last two on this list, we won't bother doing Ariola A because if you don't know anything about him by now, you weren't watching last year. So, <laughs> and also, it, it, uh, I mean, everyone must be tired of that Fabianska Ariola conversation, and neither none of us can change what's going to happen. So let's not bother. Um, it would be Downs and Emerson. Now, I, I've, I've, Emerson is one I find quite I found really surprising. Um, but you mentioned kind of pre-pod or pre-this section of the pod that a lot of people were thinking, well, Downs just comes in and he fixes our passing problems because he's, he's the new Mark Noble um, 2K22 edition. But he's, he's not really, he's not, he's, he's, he's not that, is he? He's, he's, he's not just this guaranteed Premier League starting player. And he's, he's probably been given an idea of who he is by the fans more than who he actually is, I guess, so far, Jack. Uh, there's a... There's a, there's a... Uh, the perception of Downs is quite far away from from the reality. I think people view his past success um, as a, a, a kind of uh, catch-all to say his passing in, in all areas is exceptional, mm. which which is simply not true. Downs is uh, with Swansea. I think really with that midfield too, it was Grimes that did a lot more of the the progressive work and downs that did a lot more of the simple stuff, uh, keeping things ticking over in possession, making sure the ball moves and circulates effectively, and then providing that defensive security. Uh, it's very aggressive, very good off the ball. And then on the ball, it's, it's, it's simple passes. And that is why his pass accuracy is so high. Um, you know, it's not, not someone who's going to play defense splitting, line breaking passes. That's not 
the the player we've signed and there's a lot of people you know as you alluded to saying that 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 downs is is kind of the savior for our midfield and and, and it's going to provide all of this 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 uh competence in possession and, and and progressive ability in possession that Suchek doesn't have that is simply not the player that he is the last one that is that is emerson who i think for a lot of people would have come as a bit of a surprise he's been rarely played in the years he's had at chelsea it it would be a shock as well if Moyes had watched what was going on at Lyon and thought there's my left back because if there's one thing it looked I don't follow French football much and certainly not to the level you do Jack but it looked very much like the plan with Lyon was suicidal pushing forward go wild defence is almost an inconvenience in that kind of way and and that's certainly not what David Moyes is so I mean, can either of you explain really why you think that's happened? Um, well, there's not much for me to say, really. It's quite confusing. Um, I think I thought his comments in the Moises comments, that is, in the media since have been pretty weird as well in, in saying that, oh, well, we've bid for other left backs and we've not got them. And, and now we've got Emerson, which <laughs> way to make your new signing feel chuffed about arriving. I thought that was a bit of a weird one. Um but I think it kind of also tells you of what to expect with him as well, is that he's clearly not really being brought in to replace Cresswell straight away, I don't think. I think Moyes, more than anyone, has a, a great amount of faith in Cresswell and his importance in this team. And he's very much made it clear that Emerson is kind of just a backup who can play left-back with with a view to perhaps breaking into the side and, and left-wing-back. But I think the way I view it is that we desperately needed cover at left-back. Emerson was available. We've kind of brought him in because... Profile-wise, he's not well. His numbers, at least, are I think pretty much above average in most of the important areas of of the game that a left back would need. Um, he he has actually got pretty good progressive passing metrics, not as good as Cresswell's, but you could see him deputising in that role and and taking over um, not just as the left back, but also the type of left back that Cresswell is. And then I think just just as I guess as his age more than anything, his mobility mm. is better. He's more of an overlapping threat. Um, and in the very limited minutes that he has played um, for Leon, that is, and then also um, for Chelsea and Roma, he's tended to average in the seasons where he's played more than 20 games, um, two shot creating actions per 90 uh, consistently, which is something, I guess, um, at fullback that's always always going to be a, a welcome addition. But yeah, I think the way I see it is that this is kind of cover and we'll be back in the market for a, a long-term left-back option in perhaps next summer or the summer after when Cresswell's really no much no use to us anymore. I suppose, I suppose some of us are clinging on to the fact you don't you don't play for Italy without usually without being a reasonable defender, Jack. Um, although he was he's back up to was it Spinazzola? Yes, yeah. yeah. Who, who then got injured in the Euros because he played in the Euros final, or the Euro final even, didn't he? Yeah, I, I asked um, Alex Collings this um, about this this signing at Alex Fr Co on on Twitter. He's a he's a Leon supporter, writer for Scouted Football. Uh, just what he thought about Emerson's season with with Leon. When I've seen him, I haven't, haven't been impressed. I'd be much more impressed with Malo Gusto on, on the other side yeah. than, than I have been with with Emerson. Uh, but but he said that actually Emerson was one of the stronger performers in in their season, and that I think a lot of Leon Leon fans wouldn't have been unhappy to see him return again. 
Um, so I think that's maybe, you know, cause for a little bit of encouragement, uh, with regards to him. I think the main thing for me, maybe, is I've been less assessing Emerson as an individual and more disappointed that we haven't, uh, recruited yeah. more long term in, in this area. I think it's been crying. We, I mean, for how long have we needed a young left back mm. developing in this position who's going to take over from Cresswell at some point? And again, we've addressed it with, with a kind of short term cover fix with someone who's not really got high ceiling, who isn't going to improve and be something special in the future. Uh, we've had that with Arthur Maswaku for years so I can't really see why we've done the same thing again especially given the quality well, it looks like there were some good ones out there this summer yeah there was mm, yeah. huge quality at the under 23 level uh, age group um, in, in that position lots and lots of left backs available um, for moves lots of left backs who have moved this summer lots of left backs who we ident- identified last summer in January who, who we could have gone for before their price tags ballooned David uh, David Ram was someone um, we identified a, a long while ago um, as, who would have been a good signing obviously now his price has, has ballooned massively so I, I I am a little bit disappointed that given the amount of quality in the position in that age group, we, we hadn't moved sooner, sooner even than this summer. Um, and then this summer still, uh, with players like who I've spoken about at length, Melvin Bard, Adrian Triffert, uh, Quentin Merlin, uh, Sergio Gomez, who's now gone to, to Manchester City, David Round, Borna Sosa, um, all available, um, Miguel Gutierrez. There's, there's been so much purpose of Stupinian has gone to Brighton. Mm-hmm. There were so many options. That one would have done a very, yeah, yeah. Was, but there were so many options who would have done a very good job for West Ham mm-hmm. and, and would have been long time solutions in this position. So on that level, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed, um, which, which I think is a bit unfair on Emerson because I'm not really, yeah. not really giving him any credit for, for who he is or what he is as a player and what he can add to, to West Ham. It's more just about from a squad building perspective. I'm not particularly pleased with the signing. It, look, it looks almost like we've bought in our cover for our next left back before we've bothered to go buy the left back that we want, which is, yeah. a, I mean, it's better than not having done it, I suppose. And we needed the player there in the cover. But yeah, I guess, I guess it wasn't the signing that everyone thought this summer with your kind of leveling up of our squad that it seemed to be. Mm. And um, yeah, the Red Bull model, that I suppose, is touted certainly doesn't include 28-year-old left-backs from Chelsea who barely played, I assume. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I think, the, I think as well, the most frustrating thing was that of all those people that we've identified, Jack, we were linked to about half of them. It's, the most frustrating was that we just failed to get the deal over the line mm. on so many. Uh, and whether that's them turning us down and going elsewhere or whether we got cold feet and pulled out and have now ended up with Emerson, who is, I would say... I mean, yeah, I don't want to jump on his back too quickly, but I would have been way more excited if we'd have brought in someone like Borna Sosa. I think the one that really stuck out to me was Miguel Gutierrez from, from Real Madrid's B team, who's gone for like 4 million euros. And I think he looks like he's going to be a world beater if he carries on in the trajectory that he is on. So, um, Hoovered up by just, City Football Group. Yeah, exactly. So he's That's gone from playing... Yeah. yeah, Girona, and they've also bought Sergio Gomez. So there's their two left backs sorted for the Future next Future of the Spanish years. international team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just exactly. now to City. Yeah. For a few, oh. what, 20 million total probably for the two bit, of them, I think. Yeah. A bit of foresight can go a long way, can't it? Um, no. <laughs> It'd be nice to see it once, I suppose, at West Ham. I guess I guess you can charitably say there's a possibility we might be going to that 3-4-3 and he doesn't want to invest heavily in a left back that he doesn't think suits wing backs, but I might be being a... Overly, overly kind, just just for the level of positivity. Well, 
Melvin Bard hasn't left, so he's still a, he's still available next summer. He can have another season to increase his value, and then we'll pay like thirty million for him. Maybe, <laughs> we'll him maybe next time. we're just at that point where we don't want to take the risk on bringing players to Premier League because we're so massive now that we want to wait until they've proved themselves at other teams to try to figure we're a Man City <laughs> or a Liverpool. I don't think that's the truth, though. So we'll end we'll end on the transfer window and what's left of it. I think we've got a week from today. It feels I, I don't know. It, it could be extended another few days. I never keep up with yellow yellow ticker tape parade day as it is um, in your Sky Sports News world. Um, we've still got gaps to fill. We signed seven so far, and there are gaps in the first team still sitting there. I mean, it's interesting that you and Cal in particular, but we've pointed out a kind of use of Ben Rama in the first team. Whereas if you'd started summer saying Ben Rama was going to be starting you'd assumed our recruitment would have failed somewhat. Um, where, where are the gaps, do you think, that are left, Jack? I think the main two that are left are, are number eight, um, who who can play uh, as part of a defensive midfield, and then uh, a number 10 who is flexible enough to be able to play on the left. Those are the two uh, positions I'd be looking at primarily. It's quite direct. Um, who do you think? Who do you think the names for that? I mean, if I think today the kind of strongest links, Paqueta has blown up today, and everyone's very, very excited. As much as anything, it's always nice to have a Brazilian. But there's also Vanekin as well, who who we seem to be really looked after. I know uh, a tweet that you sent out, Jack, a, a week or two back. It could be, it could have been a day. It could have been three weeks. The way the transfer window works, we're talking about kind of that players who are showing good passing, progressive, but also high XG. I think it was a list that include I can't remember the name of the guys now been linked to Everton, something like Kudus or something uh, like that. Wendell, uh, Mohamed Kudus, uh, Davide Fratesi, Mario Pasalic, uh, Sonder Burge. Like those were the names, I think. Yeah, I like Pasalic a lot. Um, so, I mean, do you think, Cal, those are the two names to suit that? Is, is Vanekin, could you see Vanekin to the right of Rice, Fornaus to the left? And then does Paqueta go as that kind of 10 who can play on the left? Or is Paqueta also capable of being one of those two eights? Sounded like you're singing stuck in the middle of you there. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going there as well. Um, I, I, that but, sounds like a kind of cheesy joke you wouldn't hear from me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a bit, I'm a bit up and down about the Vanekin link. I think bizarrely, I, I, he's obviously spent most of his career as an attacking midfielder, but I think I actually would probably see him better as a right-sided eight in our system than a ten. And I think that's because if I think about when Suchek was at his best. If we can get that version of Suchek, so a tall, combative midfielder who's happy to arrive late in the box but doesn't really need that much pace because he has the time to get there, and then add in a really good progressive passer on top of that, then I think you've got the prime version of Suchek upgraded to fill the the weaknesses of Suchek. Mm. In that respect, I think Vanekin is a pretty exciting player because... He's slightly taller, which Moise is going to love. So when you when you take Suchek out of the team, you lose a set piece threat. You bring Vanekin in, you don't lose that threat. You you have the same level of of dominance on free kicks and set pieces. Um, he's not the quickest, and I think this is why I wouldn't really necessarily like him at the ten for us, is because I think particularly in a team with if if you're going to have a ten and have Skamaka in the same team, or even with Antonio, you need a ten who has the burst of pace to accelerate beyond the striker that's holding it up, and I don't think Vanekin's got that. What we saw from Lingard, really, the ability to take the ball off the striker and run past and, and carry the ball towards the goal. I don't think Vanakin has that. But if you play him as the eight, I don't think he needs it. 
So I think coming in as an eight who can pick out those progressive passes, which he's really good at, actually, I think nearly 90% on his progressive passing accuracy, which is about 40% higher than Suchek, which is perhaps the biggest improvement you can, you could get. Um, so I think, yeah, Vanaken depends which position we play in him, but I would, I would be happy to see him arrive, to be honest. I think he'll bring leadership. He'll bring Champions League experience, which he doesn't need at a club like West Ham, but it's never going to go amiss. Um, and yeah, I think a real goal for as well. City. We're not going to win the league. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to teach you up for that. Um, But yeah, he's, I think when I was looking through it, I've not got the numbers right in front of me, but I think for the past five, I think six of the last seven seasons, he's had more than 20 goal contributions. He scored 15 Champions League goals, including against Real Madrid, Monaco, Lazio, etc. And yeah, I think last season he had, I think, something like 27 goal contributions. So that's goals and assists. So he's a serious threat in in the box, but also outside the box as well. He's quite capable of scoring from long range, but then he's also, um, which Suchek isn't, capable of getting an assist. Um, and on Paqueta, yeah. I mean, I know I, the users of the forum will, will know Misko, who, who's the Leon fan, who has now got an affiliation with us because of those games. He described him as, if, you know, if you want somebody who work, runs and works hard in the middle, he does that. You wanted somebody who can carry the ball forward, he does. You wanted a great creativity and excellent passing, he has that. Is that, is, is that, I mean, is that fair? And do you think he links in that 10? Do you think he works in that eight? Do you think he works out wide? You kind of nailed it there, Chris. Do we need to say I was going to say, I don't think I need to carry on. I think I could chuck a load of numbers at you, but he's hit it absolutely on the head. I think another option, if he's if he's to play the eight, eight role, I think he'd be brilliant. But also, I think he's he's made his career playing as a really, really exciting 10 and also as a false nine for Brazil. And he scores a lot of goals. And I think that's always going to be a good thing. I'm happy to let my man take over. And is, is, it, is he skillful enough to work on that wing side as well? Because it's interesting to me that you'd have Ben Rama there. And obviously, you could... It could also see Fornells move back there and you could have Paqueta and Vanekin or whoever, et cetera, beside Rice. But do you see him as being, I mean, I think what everyone's basically asking is, do you see him as being Payet? No, personally, I don't. I think he has the, I suppose he has the skill set in the sense that, yes, people have seen him dribble through the middle and, you're kind of therefore superimposing the fact that he you've seen him dribble, so he must be able to play mm. out wide. But dribbling through central spaces and dribbling out on the wing and taking on your man is a very different skill set. I think being able to occupy in tight spaces is something that he's really good, but I wouldn't want to trust him as the primary ball carrier out on either flanks because I just don't think, A, you're spending 40 million on the player, you want to play to his strengths, and that's not it. He'd kind of just be wasted. Um and, and I think that's all, all there is to it, really. I think if you sign him, you play him centrally and you get one of the most exciting central midfield or attacking midfield prospects in Europe at the minute. And I think it, it would be a real statement of intent. Does that, does that sorry, before you come in, Jack, does that mean we still need that, that, that wing option that you were talking about, Jack, if we that's, buy those That's two? exactly what I was going to come in on. So I, I think you, for me, you buy one of the two you definitely don't buy both I, I would be going after Paqueta at 35 million that is a ridiculous deal you're going to have competition so I'd be doing absolutely everything you possibly could to wrap that up as quickly as possible um, because yep. this is a player who who would improve Liverpool never mind West Ham um, he's that good uh, you know a very similar profile to to Lovren uh, Maya who really stood out when I was watching Ren to, to, to prepare for um, writing about uh, Naifa Gerd uh, sort of that ability to be able to progress the ball forwards but provide all the other things you need in, in midfield for me I'd be happy with with him as the sign you know I talked about the necessary 
uh, sort of eight and competency at playing six. I'm happy to have Suchek as the player who plays as the sort of six slash eight and the player who plays in the four, two, three, one. Paqueta is a more four, three, three system signing or a four, two, three, one, number 10. Um, mm. not someone who's yeah. going to be involved so much as part of the defensive pivot. And then for me, it would be going, uh, for, for, for a left winger, really. Um, or someone who can deputize at number 10. And, uh, I can throw a name out actually. It's not really my job, but I can throw out a name and, uh, and, and David Costa is someone, um, who, has popped up a lot for me in all of the sort of um, shortlisting I've done of, of players and, and looking through data and stuff. He's at uh, Lens. Um, we've looked at Seco Fofana from Lens, so I'm sure he'll he'll be on our radar. Um, young Portuguese attacking midfielder capable of playing at number 10 or on the left. Huge volume of, of chance creation, uh, really uh, high potential. Uh, not someone who would come in and be uh, necessarily nailed as a first team option, probably not a first team option, but someone who would come in and have a, 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 a really high ceiling and be able to develop in, in those two roles and potentially offer a lot in the future. What about you, Cal? Where's, where's, where's your name coming? Hmm. Uh, a lot of my names at left wing have already gone. Uh, I really <laughs> wanted Sinistera, uh, but he's obviously at Leeds. Um, I think, Gakpo is someone that's been on my radar for so long now, but I think he's probably above our our level now. I think he's I think he's nailed on to go to United actually. He seems he seems linked every day. To be believed. Yeah. yeah. But I think he'd be great. I think he would um provide a real goal threat on that left side, but also would be capable of playing up front. And I think perhaps in the future of his career that might be where his strengths lie as as a complete forward that can play make and score. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of other names, I think David Costa's a great shout. I think um, Callum Hudson-Odoi, if you could get him in on one of the domestic loans, I think would be a great, great option to come in. But again, I don't know what what the likelihood of that is. I don't know. Everyone seems to be available at Chelsea, but whether that is true, who knows? Um Oh, I've just seen in the chat that he's off to Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah, the links just... today have come up yeah. for Bayer. Which, I mean, <laughs> I mean it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think that would do his career the world a good, actually. The other, the other uh, ones that are floating around at the moment, and I, I, I'm going to chuck in a name before we go that I want just, just to make you discuss out loud. Um, but Ainsley, make the nails quickly. Um, is he purely versatility or do you think he, could, he has a use as a wingback the way we are? Uh, I'm really not that enthralled about the Maitland Nars things. I think he's super versatile, which is great. He could play box to box midfield. He could play right back. He could play left back. He could play wing back on either side. But I just don't think he really is an in- improvement on anyone, really. I, I wouldn't put him in the starting lineup. I don't really think he'd provide much competition to start either. So I just think I- I'd probably stay clear. I think there's better loan options out there that we should be chasing that would make more of an improvement on the side. In terms of those players, oh, sorry, Jack. If you're going to loan someone in that position, Spurs are try- actively trying to shift Harry Winks. I was, uh, I yeah. just wanted, I wanted you to make the case for Harry Winks because he's a name who's almost become. He's not even assessed as a football player anymore. Kind of, he's just become a name people talk about of actually not thinking about their ability. Um, so it kind of gives you a, a, a at least a, a two one two minute platform to just why you've been say voting him in Cow's poll, for example. Uh, mixture of profiles is, is the key thing here. It's not because I look at Harry Winks and, uh, and see an ex- exceptional footballer. It's because I, I look at our midfield and I uh, and he's what we need. He's yeah. what we lack. He's the player that we don't have anyone in the squad um, who is anything like him. Um, you know, I, it's I, that it's, progressive passing, isn't it? It's that. It's that sort of Jorginho uh, light thing it's being able yeah. to sit deep uh, and progress the ball play incisive passes forwards uh, offer some value 
out of possession mm. has that level of competency to maybe be able to play in a two play in a three um he, if you're looking at alone in that area, I, I certainly wouldn't be Maitland Niles for his versatility great, but Harry Winks would just be so much a, a better fit in terms of what we need in our midfield. Excellent. I, I can't really think that there's, I mean, there's been very tenuous since to Mav- Mavlinowski is what I'm going to say, but I can't remember his name anymore. And I could just, I could just see syllables. <laughs> I think it's, his first name's even gone from my head. In my head, his first name's Ruslan, but I don't know. If- yeah, it's yeah, uh, Ruslan Malinowski. I think that it oh, can right. be sometimes difficult with Atalanta because of the way that they play. So the numbers mm. can can sometimes be a little bit inflated on on Atalanta players. I I, I well, I mean, I say that, but Malinowski has been someone I've been really interested in for for, yeah. for a number of years now. Someone who I've highlighted a, a number of times. I don't I don't, don't even know where. I can't remember where I've spoken about him, but I have definitely. Um, so yeah, he's popped up in all the shortlisting stuff we do. He's he's always been high on 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 everything we've we've in terms of assessing data. So uh, yeah, potentially an interesting option, but not really someone I'd be pursuing if if Paquetta's in even in yeah. in the picture. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe one name I'd throw out who who who's well above our level, but we need you know I I I said David Costa, but we need someone in that sort of like Sofian Diop at Monaco mold. That is the that is the kind of player we need on on the left. I think Ben Rama's obviously shown that he's got some utility for us and in that four three three, but we need someone who uh, just has that kind of magic on that side and there are a lot of people who want to make you believe that Ben Rama is the is the second coming of Dimitri Payet he's um he's not quite that he's a he's a, he's a useful creative player with with a real spark to him in the final third uh but it's it comes with real inconsistency and mm. um, and 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 what West Ham do need to find at some stage it might be a thing that doesn't come this summer it might be a thing that comes next summer is that is that sort of um dynamic creative goal threat um on on the left side of the pitch definitely um we will if when these players sign or if these players sign that's when you'll get us kind of dives in the boys obviously the analytics united you'll be doing the profile to scouting reports as well here on the pod here we will do we will talk about them in more depth than we have here if they sign um as much as anything it's it's a hell of a lot of kind of effort to put in and then they don't sign and I, i'm just a tired man i'll be honest <laughs> um <laughs> So it's it's analytics utd underscore for you on Twitter. Yeah, just check out the site analyticsunited.co.uk. You'll find you'll find all kinds of stuff on there. Just look at what we're doing recently. Really, I think that's the best way to assess what we're producing. Mm-hmm. Um, the match reviews, I'm I'm really proud of. Um, you'll find a performance analysis for every individual player after every single game, um, and and then you'll find stuff you know as granular as as Cal producing scout reports on, on players he's found in in South America. Um, <laughs> So oh yes, we should have mentioned Lazaro. That reminds me. Uh, we, uh, yeah. Some, yeah, maybe we should have mentioned him. But that, that is the kind of breadth of the content, yeah. and um, you know, it is a little bit no sleep for us at the moment with <laughs> with European games, Premier League games, transfer window. Uh, but but yeah, we're we're producing a huge amount of really high level content. We're really proud of what we're doing. So so do check out the site analyticsunited.co.uk. Excellent, and of course. Knees Up Mother Brown will be well where we always are in these things, which means they'll have the transfer thread. There'll be stuff going on on deadline day. There'll be the news and whatever snippets we get as they get close as well. Um, but until then, it will do as we've done here. Wait, get a bit of a picture, see what develops, and then we will be back with you until then. Until that time, the, these ones, they've got a podcast more weekly that gets tighter detail. And if 
if you so fancy it, I would suggest you listen to that as well. Um, but until we see you again, ta-ta. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> I'm big knees up Mother Brown man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yes, it's Find excitement it. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it. That's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at kumb.com. Come on, you irons.